All right, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We are working our way through this letter to a church in the first century that has more to do with us than you could even imagine as we walk through each section. We're in this section now where, where Paul is dealing with marriage and marriage and sex, and he takes a, a bit of a, a left turn. Uh, he's going to stay in the context. The end of this chapter, he's going to talk about marriage and singleness, but we have this section right in the middle uh, that's very pertinent and practical to us. We're going to study that this morning. So this is 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 to 24. God's word says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his calling already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word, which is living and active, and we need your help. Lord, we cannot understand uh, your ways, your words, except by your help, by your spirit, who, uh, who loves to open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. So, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us this morning, that you would speak to us, that you would alter our perspective about our lives and how we can live for your glory in every moment. Lord, this is my prayer, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's interesting to me, and, and maybe to you, if you've ever heard this critique of Christianity that goes something like, what does religion have to do with real life? Or more pointed, Christianity has nothing to do with, with real life, with actual lives. Christians are so heavenly minded, they say that they are no earthly good. You can go to your church or read your Bible while we go about the business of the real things of real life, which is so ironic because it's so untrue. Like there is, there is not a square inch of our lives nor a fraction of a second in real time that Christ doesn't care about and instruct and ordain and affect and claim. There's not one moment of our lives that he doesn't care about and speak into, that the Bible doesn't speak into. Uh, all of our lives uh, come under Christ's uh, authority and command every waking moment. Christianity is about all of Christ for all of life. And this morning is a place where we see this very clearly. What does Christianity have to do with real life? Well, everything. It is estimated that between 25 years old and 65 years old, the average person will spend 94 to 96,000 hours at work in your vocation. And today, Paul is going to address those hours. 
He's going to address the value and importance of the work that you and I do, work that God has called us to and encourages us to embrace. And he's going to get at this through the lens of calling, the callings of God on our life, which expand beyond our work lives, but certainly include our work lives. And, and it comes through this instruction, this clarification that he gives to the church. He's answering questions now that they have asked him. And look again at verse 17. He gives this clarification, this instruction. He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And what we need to understand initially, what we, we need to wrap our minds around, is the concept of calling or vocation. That's what Paul is mentioning here. And then secondly, we need to realize how the Corinthians were specifically tempted to change their situations in life. And, and there was a reason for that, that, that Paul needs to instruct. So with regard to that first thing, with regard to, to calling, whether you realize it or not, Every one of us lives out our lives within or without of certain callings that God himself has given to us or called us into. This is a way to see your whole life. The things that God himself has called you into. These callings are the situations and stations of our lives. Again, that God has ordained and directed and personally assigned to each of us. And these callings also, they all carry expectations from God regarding our living out those callings and identities for his glory, for our good, and for the good of others. And I believe that these callings begin at conception. At conception. I'll give you a, a list, for example, of the kinds of callings that exist in our life. And the first gift from God to each of us is the gift of life. Amen. So therefore, we've been called by God to live as humans, as a man or a woman created in the image of God to be like God and to reflect God in the world as a man or a woman. That's a calling. God has given us the gift of life, and we are called by God as image bearers of God to reflect God. But then it continues, because if you are born into a family or brought into a family, you're also a son or a daughter, right? You've been called or brought into a family whose order and structure is for your good. And the Bible speaks to that calling as a member of a family. And then if and when you have been redeemed by Christ and born again to a renewed ability to love God and others through regeneration, you are now in Christ. This is the most primary and fundamental calling and identity change that will ever happen in our lives. This is calling proper in the Bible. When God calls us to himself and awakens our hearts to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, in that moment of regeneration, you become a new creation in Christ. 
The old is gone and the new has come. Your identity has fundamentally and primarily and eternally changed. You've been transferred from in Adam to in Christ. And every other identity and calling subordinates to the fact that we now place the priority of Christ above everything that we are and everything that we do. Our identity in Christ now eternally affects everything that we do. So you're created as a human, you're a a man or a woman image bearer of God with value and dignity in that calling. You're called into a family and then God calls you to be a Christian which supersedes everything else because every other calling is gonna come under the fact that you're now in Christ. But then if you, you receive the gift to be a husband or a wife, that's a calling from God, isn't it? You're called by God into a covenant of mutual love and care and service and joy. And then if you receive the special calling to become a father or a mother, that's a gift from God, isn't it? And it's a, a calling. You're called to raise children for the glory of God as gifts given by God. The gift of children comes with a calling from God to parent your children, to care for your children. You're called to be a part of a church, to join yourself, to become a member of the body of Christ. God calls us to where we are. He calls us to where he plants us. And of course, you're, you're called to a, a full-time occupation. And this is where the, 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 the word vocation kind of makes sense to us. What is your vocation? We tend to think of your job. And certainly, God calls us into these as well. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. This includes what what might be more permanent in your life, like a job or a career. Maybe this is in the, the public square or the private square or in the home. You receive an assignment from God to be a worker, and then there are part-time vocations or maybe temporary vocations that you find yourself in. Maybe you serve in a nonprofit or in an organization. Maybe you're a part of a club or an organization, or you, you do missions work. There was a time in my life where I was a coach. My kids uh, played sports, and I volunteered to be a coach. I'm not a coach anymore. But at the time I was a coach, I was called to be a coach and tried to act and live out of that calling as best I can. So you see what I'm saying? You can organize all of your life based on the callings of God. As a man, as a woman, as a son or daughter, as a Christian, as a husband, as a wife, as a part of a church, as a part of the community, in your vocation, in your work, in the the things that you do or the organizations or hobbies. Now, most in church history combine all of our callings into two main categories. First, our calling to Christ, which I've talked about. This is our our primary calling, our ruling identity, and then every other horizontal calling in our lives, identities that are secondary and even change at the will of God, uh, become that second catch-all category. And it was actually Martin Luther, did you know, who primarily recovered the, the value and dignity and, and celebrated all of the callings of God. He's the one that combined all secular and sacred callings together as given by God, especially in our work. And this gave rise to what became known as the Protestant work, work ethic. 
because of the, the dignity and value of the callings of God placed in our lives through the work that he gives us to do. So this is all important because of the problem that now Paul is addressing in Corinth. Because the Corinthians were confused about the callings of God. And especially confused about the relative importance of each calling. And I'll tell you, mostly, they were once again over-spiritualizing things. They were over-spiritualizing their callings and statuses in life and wanted to change them or to, to switch them out, but for moral reasons. In other words, they were asking the questions, now that we have become a Christian, you got to imagine these, these folks heard the gospel, and for the first time in their life, they were, they were brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, out of out of the dominion of, of darkness and into the kingdom of God's son. They were changed. Their whole lives had changed. Their whole perspective on everything had changed. And they'd been brought into a community of Jesus' followers in the church. So the question becomes, now that we're Christians, should we change the other parts of our lives? Should we, for example, get circumcised if we haven't been circumcised already? Or should we get a circumcision reversed? In other words, should we change our ethnic identity? Should a Jew become like a Gentile or a Gentile like a Jew? Which one is better now that we're Christians is what's behind the question. Should we quit our jobs for something more spiritual? If a bondservant is free in Christ, should he or she revolt or run away in order to personify the freedom that they have in Christ? Is it, is it spiritually inferior to be a slave now that we're Christians? And should we fight to change that because it's morally superior? This is what Paul is answering. Look at it again. We'll read it again. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commands of God. This is what he said in Galatians too, right? Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, of course, avail yourself of the opportunity. You see how he's answering the question? He's saying, no, there's no moral obligation or super spiritual reason to change the calling and status that you are in just because you are a Christian now. Not ethnically, not socially, not vocationally. Stay and be what God has called you to be and to do, knowing that the calling and status and identity that you have in Christ supersedes all of those callings, for sure. Which also frees you to neither over-attach to those callings nor to under-attach to them. And this, by the way, includes ethnically. Because circumcision, it matters for nothing anymore. 
in Christ Jesus. Our status is in Christ Jesus. Whether you are black or brown or white or Jew or Gentile or barbarian or Scythian, look, we are all in Christ now. This includes who you are socially, whether you're rich or poor. There's, there's no moral superiority now that you're a Christian to your social status. Whether you're popular or not esteemed, this includes vocationally. Whether you're a, a manual worker or the king, whether you're slave or free, none of these matter, relatively speaking, compared to Christ and who we all are now in Christ. We are equally called and valued and loved in his eyes. Therefore, don't change. You don't, you're, you're not required to change in order to somehow enhance who you are in Christ. This is what Paul is getting at, even, by the way, if you are a bondservant. And this is important for us to realize that the Bible does not condone slavery, nor does Paul affirm slavery here. He says that no one should be owned. And we've tried to point out in the past when we've come across sections like this, the difference between slavery in the ancient world and slavery in the pre-modern or, or modern world, slavery in the first century back, back in the ancient Near East, it wasn't exclusively hard labor, but it included all jobs, both household and civil. Slavery was not always forced either. People could become bond servants for economic reasons or for job stability or for family stability. Plus, there was upward mobility for slaves in those days. You could become professional at what you did. You can become freed. You could become actually a partner someday through that vocation. Slavery also wasn't racial in that every race of both men and women were servants throughout the first century. Slavery was a part of the social and economic world back then. And yet, it was based in human ownership and therefore was an evil because of the less than human status that was given to slaves. You can't, you can't get around that. You could be treated wickedly, both physically and sexually, treated as property and not human. So what, what Paul is saying, you got to hear what he's saying, He's saying, yeah, if you have a chance for freedom, take it, because that is always right. But in terms of your Christianity, in terms of, of coming to Christ and then returning to the household in which you're a bondservant, it's okay. Don't let that concern you. It's okay to remain in the job that you have. It's, it's not less than Christian to work as a servant. It is neither immoral nor inferior. It is not looked down upon because, because you are a slave. And here's why. Because your primary, your, your, your primary identity is now in Christ which supersedes. And there here is actually a tremendous irony. Look at verse 22 at what Paul says. He says, for he 
who was called in the Lord, God assigns all of our places, all of our vocations. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is actually a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Isn't that interesting? You were bought with a price, so do not become bondservants of men. But brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. It's now the third time he said this. To be where you're called to be. And I wonder if you can, can see that because we belong to the Lord and we were bought with the price of his precious blood, no one should, be, should ever belong to another as a slave. And yet Paul speaks very practically to what was probably about one-third of the population in Corinth, and therefore maybe one-third of the church, those who worked as bondservants. And Paul dignifies their work and places God in their work with them and reminds them of their primary identity, which is so practical. This is all so very practical to all of us because the principle of the callings of God in your life asks each of us who has God called you to be by his providence what assignments in your life currently today what assignments in your life has God himself given to you by his providence and as a gift. What has God called you to do, to put your hands to, to contribute for his glory and the good of others? And even if those, those began before you were a Christian, I love what Kim Riddlebarger says. He says, we are to remain where we are when called to faith in Christ. Becoming a Christian does not mean that we are to withdraw from the world God gives to us certain gifts and places us in certain situations. We should use the gifts God has given us and thereby fulfill our vocations. Paul lays down this general rule in all the churches. Remain where you are when called. Do not quit your job. When we become Christians, God doesn't remove us from all that he has called us to as a man as a woman, as a son, or a daughter, as a family member, as a student, or as a worker, as a member of our community. Instead, he infuses all of those callings with a new and profound significance that comes as you exercise your primary calling in Christ, as a Christian, to all of those other callings. This is what's so powerful about what Paul is saying here. This is brilliant and actually stunning if you think about it. If you think about what Paul is instructing them and us. Because not only does, does he address every part of our lives, which he certainly does, but he also invests every area of our lives with perfect perspective and powerful purpose. This is brilliant, because think about it. Think about how what Paul does here is that he subjugates the relative 
moral importance of our vocation to their right place under our status in Christ. You get that? Our status in Christ is primary. And he subjugates the relative importance of every other vocation under that. But Paul also, at the exact same time, elevates our other vocations by giving us a vision to occupy those vocations and to glorify God in those vocations as callings given to us by God as a gift. In other words, Paul doesn't allow us to over-spiritualize our callings, which is what, honestly, we're all, we're all guilty of at times. This is what we, we tend to do. Is being a doctor better than sweeping floors at a McDonald's when you close? Is it morally superior? Is being president of the United States better than a door dasher, morally speaking? more important. Is Christian work better than regular work? Well, the answer is no. That my calling in ministry is not relatively better nor more important than every mother in this room's calling to mother your children. They're both simply callings by God. They're assignments given to us. Being a lifelong missionary is not morally better than being a lifelong dentist or teacher or civil servant or car mechanic. You see, Paul equalizes and nullifies the moral differences between what we have been called to, whether they're sacred or secular. He wipes those out. Look, there is a sense of this that I've grown up with in Christian ministry because there can be this, this sense that, that sometimes what, what is projected onto me, whether well-meaning or not, is a sense that, that what you're doing, Eric, is, is really super important. Maybe more important than, than what I do. Pe- there, there are two, two kinds of people. People who work for the Lord and then, well, everybody else right? As if there's an inferiority, as if there's this this sacred, secular distinction. When how can that be when God assigns to each of us our assignments, our vocations, the thing that he has gifted us and called us to do, this has come from him. What could be more sacred than that? What could be more sacred than that? Then God himself preparing you and launching you into what he wants you to do to make the world better. That's as sacred as it gets, brothers and sisters. Our vocations just become different. Because every work that God has called you to has a sacred origin. It's from him. So if by By his providence, God has called you into every vocation you occupy for his glory and the good of others. Then this indeed is sacred. No calling given by God is less important or eternally significant than any other calling given by God. You get that? Whether you wait tables for his glory, whether you groom pets or extract teeth, or send criminals to jail, 
or make laws in Congress, or you're the president of a company, or you recapture a tanker from foreign pirates, or you land a plane, or you preach the gospel in churches, or evangelize throughout the world, or serve school lunches to children, or wipe your baby's keister 2,000 times before he can do it himself. And then even then, can he really? Look, the callings of God are valuable and important. You see what Paul is doing here. Be where God has called you to be with all of your heart and do what God has called you to do with all of your strength and all for the glory of God. All work matters to God. Every job is infused by God with meaning and purpose and significance. Congratulations, everyone. What you are doing in your life is supremely important to God every hour. So Paul certainly infuses the mundane with with wonderful significance. But, But do you see how brilliant he is? By not allowing us to overinflate our vocations, which we can also tend to do. We can tend to tie our identity to our jobs. We can tend to, to tie our relative importance and the esteem that we receive from others by our jobs. We can tend to, to elevate our our secondary vocation to a primary place in our identity and therefore replace God and who we are in Christ, which Paul will not allow. Do you see how he does both? He elevates the significance of of all that we're called to do, but he won't allow you to over-elevate them to the place of primary identity. This is really really powerful, which means that we can apply this actually in both directions. What if you're the person here this morning who just hates your job, just hate it? Maybe you see it as mundane. Maybe you see it as unimportant. Maybe you're, maybe you're trapped or you feel trapped. Maybe you're under orders or you're under contract. Maybe who you work for is just terrible. Maybe you're underemployed. You're way more qualified to to be doing what you're doing. Maybe you're underpaid. Maybe you see your job as embarrassing. Like you haven't made it into a different or better position in your work. Or you're embarrassed by your profession. You hate that question, what do you do for a living because of the, the, the stab in your soul of saying, by the way, this includes all of our dads and moms, you stay at home or not. Maybe you're a homeschooling mom and you honestly hate it, just hate it. And any of these situations maybe something will change, but until it does, 
what we're finding out is that at least three things are true. The first thing is that God has providentially called you into that work right now. Do you see that? Each one should, should stay, should live in the assignment that the Lord himself has given to you. God has made you in his image, your, your first calling. And God is a God who works and rests, and God gives us work and rest. Which means that where you spend the hours of 9 to 5 or sun up to sundown is not an accident, nor is it a mistake. It matters. It matters to God. Now, this doesn't mean that, that we have to like it, for sure. But we have to see God in it, who's with us. And, and is, is asking us to reflect his image in that place. Because that's who he's made us to be. The second thing that's true, especially if you are a Christian, that makes all the difference in the world as you work. In what God has called you to do. Because we do our work no longer for man, but we do our work as unto the Lord. We now serve the Lord with our lives. Every bit of work that we do, it has the chance to glorify God who calls us to make the world around us better as we reflect his character in our work. And we have a chance to do good for others, serving others by making things better or making things right or making things organized or making things fixed or making things just or making things clean, whether that's physically or emotionally or spiritually or socially or governmentally or even pampersly. Because what a gift it is to a tiny human to have a clean bottom and a clean diaper, right? Reflect the character of God in the work that you do. You see, in, in Christ, our eyes are open to this. We're new creations in Christ, and we can see that every bit of management or administration, it reflects the order of God, the, the heart of God that is order, that brings order into chaos. Every equation at a time, every engineering formula at a time, every right governing of people at a time. Every assets meets liabilities at a time. There's God in that and his character. If you work in government or military or police, don't you reflect God's desire for justice and righteousness amongst his image bearers around the earth? Of course it does. Or if you fix or repair things, doesn't that reflect God's heart to make all things new one day? To have the category of broken eliminated from our existence in a new heaven and a new earth. Look, you're, you're bringing God's heart to see something made new when you paint a wall, when you clean a bathroom. There's God in that. Even if you just create widgets that bring people joy, Thank you. Thank you. Because God is a creative God who's given us the ability to think and make things 
just like he does. And if you're a student, then you have the calling and the privilege by God to learn things that come ultimately from the mind of God, the knowledge of God, that he's blessed you to be able to to figure out and to learn because God is a thinking God. See, when, when, we, when we have our eyes open in Christ, all of these things become powerful to us. We're no longer just working for the man nor for a paycheck. It's not what our lives are about. All of Christ for all of life, including the jobs that we have to do. But what if you love your job? And this is kind of that, that third thing that we know is true. What if you absolutely love your job What this teaches us is that your job doesn't ultimately define you. Nor is it the most valuable or impressive or important thing about you. If God gives you the gift of a perfect job, and some of you have that, you just absolutely love what you're doing or preparing to do. That is a gift from God. That's a sweet spot, isn't it? or what you love to do as created in the image of God, the work of your hands or your mind or whatever it is, matches up to to this wonderful reality that they also pay you to do it, right? This indeed is a sweet spot. But yet that job doesn't define you. Your value and ultimate identity is not wrapped up in that job, which means... That if that changes or you lose that job, you don't have to be devastated to the core. Your work doesn't fundamentally define you. Christ does. Listen, the world will never bestow a status on us more precious and powerful than the status that Jesus gives us. Amen? Therefore, when you are replaced, when the downsizing happens, when you retire, when your kids grow up and leave and don't need all the mommying anymore, when you're not a pastor anymore, when you're not a missionary anymore, your identity in Christ supersedes what you do, even if you've done that thing for a lifetime. Do you see how brilliant this is? Christianity has nothing to do with real life, right? (laughs) This has to do with everything. Christ has to do with everything. Everything. Three times each person should remain. Do what you're doing in, the, in all the areas that God has called you into. Now, this will include marriage and singleness, by the way. Like this, is, this, is, this is sandwiched. The, the, the whole content and context, Paul's going to go into instruction for singleness and celibacy, as a matter of fact. We'll get to that next week as a calling from God, as a matter of fact. We'll get to that next week. But, Ben, you can come. We'll, we'll close here and, and hear this exhortation. Be all that God has called you to be. Do all that you do for the glory of God, who is the one who called you and gifted you to be and to do all that he has put before you. As a man, as a woman, as a Christian, as a son or daughter, as a brother or sister, as a husband or wife, as a father 
or a mother, as a grandparent, as a student or employee. as a baker or a candlestick maker, as a coach or a fitness instructor. Be who God has called you to be, as a friend, as a member of a church, as a part of your community. Be who God has called you to be and do what God has called you to do for his glory and the good of others. Amen? Amen. And for maybe some of you, God is calling you to himself today this entire time, you feel God is at work in your heart. If you're not a Christian, that calling into a relationship with God through the death of Jesus Christ is available to you. God may be saying your name right now and calling you to himself. If so, respond to him. Come to Jesus through faith in him and everything will change. Let's stand together and pray. So, Lord, we commit our lives to you. We thank you for your word that is so very practical. But I pray that you would help us all to process all of this, to consider each one of our vocations and what it is that you require and empower us to do in those vocations. Lord, where we've fallen short, would you please forgive us and strengthen us to get back at it? Lord, I pray that for those who are struggling in their work, that you would give them sustaining grace, that you would be in it with them. And if it's by your mercy that that changes, would you allow it to change? But until then, Lord, let us live for you, for your glory, for the good of others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.